Not dismissed like you can leave. Go downstairs. Be good, little boys and girls. <clears throat> Let me give them a minute. Are you ready back there? <clears throat> We're ready. Everybody knows that 10 days ago, there was another school shooting, right? We hear about school shootings. We've heard about so many of them that we kind of become callous to them. But, but there was another school shooting. The kids are on the news, and they're outraged, and, and whatever that agenda, whatever's going on. Everyone is divided over it. The country is divided over it, right? Arguing about the solution of it. You guys have heard some of the stuff, right? I don't even watch TV and I hear about a lot of it. I get on YouTube and check it out. That's what the people at work tell me about. So, so the left is saying one thing and the right's saying their way is the right way. They're both, no, no one's agreeing on anything. Everybody's arguing about everything. The Bible says united we stand, divided we fall, right? So if we want to be united, what about prayer? That'd be my title today, babe. When you're titling this, what about prayer? Prayer is a relationship, right? It's a relationship. It's not, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's not a list of wants and needs. It's not just that we come to God when we want something or we need to be healed or we're in a financial situation. Come on, if you all are quiet today, I'm going to know where I'm right where I need to be at and I'm just going to stomp around here for a while. But if I get a few amens and hallelujahs and some head noddings, then we can move along and we'll get Brother Darren out to eat that cheeseburger on time, right? Or we'll do our best to. So, so I'm going to need you to get involved here a little bit today. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a relationship. Too often we get caught up with emotion, though, and the distractions of everything that goes on in life, and we forget to pray, right? The enemy keeps us busy, and we forget to pray. We forget to take time alone and get in our prayer closet. Prayer can change the whole situation. Do you get that? It can change the whole situation. The examples are we've prayed, and we've seen people healed. Anybody who's been at this church long enough has a personal story about that you can share about. You've seen somebody healed that's came in here, been prayed for. We, just, we talked about just during the praise reports. They sent out a, they sent out a, a prayer chain for, uh, I forget his name now right now, Dave, sent out a prayer chain for Dave and comes back and they can't find anything wrong with him. Yeah. Went in, looked like he was not going to be here with us long. Yeah. Came out, he's already back home and they don't know what's wrong with him. They, they don't know what it caused it. No, that's what a miracle is, right? When man can't explain it, when science can't explain it, it's a miracle. It's a gift from God. We see people healed. Another example is we've prayed and we've seen our attitude changed. I have, right? If you'll pray when you're getting in a bad attitude, the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And I have to remind my wife about it constantly. (laughs) Not really. She's a lot nicer than I am. But I do remind her and Katie and the kids about it sometimes too. And I'll remind some of you all about it when you're getting a stinking attitude. If your attitude's stinking, go spend some time with God. Because if you've got a bad attitude, I know you haven't been spending time with him because the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy and the Bible's always right. Yeah. Are you following me? So another example of when we've prayed, we saw our house sold in five hours before the rookie realtor, we didn't know we had a rookie, could even get the pictures on and it sold for more than what we expected to sell it for. Are you following me? That's God. It was on the market for a year before that and sat there stagnant and nobody, nobody made us an offer or anything. I'm talking about within five hours Someone bought the thing for more money than what we thought. That's God. James 5, 14 through 16 says this. Is any among you sick? We're talking about prayer today. That's our main, our main thing today. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. I hate being called an elder of the church, right? But I think that's what I am today, right? We're talking about spiritually though, right? <laughs> Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Come on. And the prayer of what? The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up and 
If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the prayer of faith is what does it, right? The prayer of faith. It says the prayer of faith will heal and forgive. Does it not right there? Go back to 15, sis. It says will. Will. The prayer of faith will. That small little four-letter word right there is a huge, big, powerful word. It says it will. Not maybe. Not it might. Not if you all act right. Not if you all are good boys and girls. Not if you're lucky this might happen. But the prayer of faith will. Will heal the sick. Will cause us to be forgiven. The prayer of faith. Healing and forgiveness then when you say hinges on our faith. Our healing and our forgiveness hinges on our faith. Verse 16 says this, and this is my main text right here in verse 16. Confess your trespasses one to another. What's that mean? Doesn't mean you come to the priest and tell the priest what you did wrong, right? Because he's going to go on. If you read the rest of it, he'll explain it to you. And pray for one another that ye may be healed. Healed from what? What's wrong with me? What do I need healed from? Not just sin, but I believe it's my familiar sin. We all get involved with the same things over and over again. The devil's not real creative. He hits us right where he knows it worked at before. It's not what I'm getting into. The next, the next sentence here is really what I want to talk to you about. But, he, but we're being healed from that familiar sin. Are you following me? If we'll pray, one, not talk about one another. doesn't say that anywhere in there, does it? It says pray. That means you're not talking to me about somebody else. That means you're talking to God about somebody else. Are you following me? That's what the church is supposed to do today. We're supposed to talk to God about other people's sins and other people's problems so they can be healed, so that I can be healed. We all have familiar sins. I don't care how good you think you might be. There's something that you dabble in. There's something that's your weakness, right? Does it matter if it's, does does I hear cheesecake? (laughs) Does it matter if it's pornography or cheesecake? They can both be a sin, right? Pornography is a sin. Cheesecake can be a sin, Right? The effectual, here's, here's, here it is right here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Stay right here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Now, I need to break this. Anybody know what effectual and fervent prayer means? Effectual and fervent especially. So effectual fervent means to be active. They kind of work together, these two words do. And they mean to be active, to be efficient. Oh, are we efficient in our prayer life? Are we active in our prayer life? Are we hung up in today's debates? In the latest gossip. Are you following me? It means to be active, to be effective, and to be mighty. Because if you're active and you're effective, you're going to be mighty. If you're praying according to faith, according to God's will. Are you following me? You're going to be mighty. To be, to be effective and fervent, by definition, then, then means to be effective, right? Or to be active, I mean to say. Right? Effectual and fervent, by definition, means to be active. It means to be efficient. Efficient. How are you efficient in your prayer life? You put away the distractions. Put away the distractions of the world. Stop being in the debates with everybody else. Stop worrying about all the distractions that are going around you in your house, at your job, with your kids, with the church, whatever it may be. Put those distractions away and spend your time with God. Talk to God about it. God has the answers. I don't have the answers for you. He's the one with all the answers. And then you'll be mighty. Do you believe when you pray? When you pray, do you believe? Do you come to God when you pray to God? Do you come expecting something to happen? Do we always or sometimes we question that? Sometimes we question that. Sometimes we question if God hears us. And verse 16 says, verse 16 says, righteousness. Righteous. God honors the effectual fervent. So the active, 
right? And the efficient prayer of a righteous man avails much. So what's righteous mean there? You haven't done anything to be, to be made righteous. I can't be made righteous. I was born into sin, and I would always have been a sinner if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. God took my sin and placed it on Jesus Christ. And he took his righteousness and placed it onto me. So at that moment when I ask for forgiveness, I'm just as righteous as Jesus Christ, right? So isn't this talking about me? We have to come back to God and repent over and over and over again because we make mistakes, right? I'm not talking about blatantly. There's a difference in blatantly sinning and a mistake, right? 16, the word availeth there means to have power. So the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous, because Christ may be righteous, man avails or availeth. Availeth means to have power. So a righteous man, right? What was effectual and fervent mean? What it mean? Efficient, active. A righteous man who's seeking after God's righteousness, not seeking after things of the world, but seeking after God's righteousness, his prayers will have much power. They'll do much work. The, the, the definition of availeth means to have power, to have or exercise forth, force to work much. Your prayers are worth a lot when you're chasing after God. Are you following me? That's like Brother Stephen's word, um. Are you following me? That, that's mine, Brother Stephen, right there. Uh, if, if you read on in this verses here, I'm not going to read it today because I, I, I'm confounded by time, but, but in verses 16 and 17, it says, it says, Elijah, like us, was subject to pra- passion. He was subject to the lust of the world, right? He was subject to getting involved in other things because he was a man. He was in the flesh, but he was a righteous man. So God listened to him, did he not? Because it says in verse 16 and 17 that Elijah prayed, And there was no rain for three and a half years. God listened to him until Elijah prayed again, and then it rained again, and the earth produced fruit. Just just an example. Just one example of this. Here's something, though. You might say, Pastor, how come if God honors honors the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, or if the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, if it does much work, how come he answers the prayer of sinners? Think about that right there. In Psalm 66, 18... Did I give you that one or did I have it in my notes? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't say maybe, does it? It says will not hear me. If I regard, the definition of this word regard right here means to perceive, to see, to have vision of. God will not hear me. So if I see or to have vision of sin and I do nothing about it, isn't that like harboring sin in my heart? If I'm harboring, can we read it like that then? If I'm harboring sin in my heart, God will not hear me. If I'm doing something that I know better than doing, and I keep doing it, I keep going back to the well on that thing, it says he will not hear me, but sometimes he does. God can choose to hear us anyway. He, I mean, he, he obviously acts on prayers sometimes. He, here's an example right here. I was praying when I was still living in the world. I, was, I wasn't saved. I went to the church when I was a kid, but I was living in the world, and I, and I, was, I was a pretty good sinner. I, I was a drunk, and I was in the drugs, and you name it, and I, I probably tried it. Are you following me? I was a pretty rowdy individual. However, I still believed in God. I'd still read my Bible sometimes on my way to bed, on my way to sleep. I, I used it for a sleeping pill. I'd read it, and I'd wake up covered up with my Bible like a blanket sometimes. But I still read my Bible every once in a while, and I still prayed. I talked to God. Didn't have a relationship with God. Wasn't righteous by any means. But I'd ask, I asked God at one time to use me to do something great. 
And I thought that meant I was going to get to help a little old lady out with something or give somebody a little bit, give somebody a hundred dollar bill or something that wasn't going to cost me very much. But that still small voice inside me said, you're going to preach. And it scared me to death. I stayed away from any kind of churches. I put that Bible up. I didn't want nothing to do with any of it anymore. I stopped talking to God and I ran. And it's the greatest thing he's ever called me to do because look around you at the people who came to this church. Not that I did it, but because God uses me, the people who came to this church and their lives have been changed. Their kids' lives have been changed. Are you following me? This is going to go down through generations if God tarries long enough. So it's the greatest thing. I didn't even, be careful what you pray for. Because I didn't even know what I was asking for. And he put me right out there. Sometimes God chooses to meet us right where we're at. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Sometimes God will choose to meet us right where we're at. He'll answer our prayers. Philippians 4 and 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing, or don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, known to, be made known to God. Be made known to God. Anxious. When you're being anxious, you're wasting your time. And I'm going to get in this scripture here in just a little bit, but 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have. This is where our faith's at. If he hears us, why wouldn't we have peace? If we know that he hears us, we know that we'll have whatever we petition him for, as long as we're praying according to his will. We're going to read the scripture here in just a little bit. I'm butchering it up a little bit. But why wouldn't we have peace if we know that God hears us? Without a shadow of a doubt, we know that he hears us and we know that we're praying according to his will. Why wouldn't I have peace? Why would I be anxious anyway? So I got a revelation of this this week. Any time that you spend being anxious about any situation, you're wasting time. It's a waste of time. What if you spent that wasted time in prayer? Instead of wasting your time worrying about what could happen. Statistics say that over 90% of the time, the things that we worry about never come to pass. But that time that we spend being anxious, my, bri- my, my, my lovely bride brought to, to, to my site this week, could be minutes. We don't think of it as being a very long time. But when you worry about something or when people have anxiety issues, it could be minutes. It could be years. It could be hours. What if you spent all those years, those decades that you spent worrying about something, what if you spent that time with God, talking to him in his word, building a relationship with him? You'd know that he heard you. What are you worried about? Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says this. Therefore, do not worry. Shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? That's all your needs, right? May not be everything you want, but it's all your needs. You can survive on this right here. And 32 says, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Even the sinners seek after those things. They're out looking for those things, trying to figure out how they can get them on their own ability. Or how their spouse can get them for them. Are you following me? Even the sinners do that. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And 33 says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? What are we talking about here is righteousness and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God and go ahead and live in the world however you want to live. It says repent of those things and turn toward him and seek after his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about them anyway. It may not be a new Ferrari. It may not be a half a million dollar house. But you'll have everything you need. And you'll get some of the things you want. Along the way, too. And they're better than the things. Some of the things that God wants you to have are better than the things that you you could even imagine that you think you want to have. So 
All these things are needs and we shouldn't worry about them. We are to trust God is what it's saying there in 33, right? Trust God for them. Don't worry about them. Trust God for them. But sometimes he requires us to do something. I'm going to tell you this story, and I've told it two or three years ago in here. And it's not a real story. It's a fictional story, but, but it's a good story. Um, it has some meaning to it. There was a man, he was in a hurricane, and, and he climbed up on, he was one of the older style houses that has the roof up here and the, and the front porch roof's on the front, and it's on the first story, and the, it's a two-story house. So at first part of the hurricane, the water's coming up, he got on the front porch roof, and, and some rescuers came by in a boat, and they said, come on, get in with us, we're, we're, we're going to take you to, to safety, we're going to take you to dry ground. And he said, no, that's all right, God's going to save me. So he gets up. Next thing, he, the water keeps coming up, so he has to get his, pull his ladder up, get up on the second story. And he's at the, sitting down by the gutter, and he's on the second story now, and another boat comes by. They're about level with him, two stories deep. And he says, they say, get in the boat. We're going to save you. We're going to take you to safety to dry, dry ground. He said, no, that's all right. God's going to save me. So the water keeps rising. He's, almost, he's all, all the way up at the ridge, all the way up at the peak of his house. And a helicopter comes flying over, tries to pick him up. They drop down a rope. And he said, no, that's all right. God's going to save me. Go on by. So... Long story short, he wound up dead, right? He wound up in heaven because he was a good Christian man. He was believing in God. He was a righteous man. When he stood before God, he said, God, what happened? I, I trusted in you to do this for me. I trusted in you to save my life. And you left me there stranded. I died. And he said, son, I sent two boats and a helicopter by. What more do I need to do for you? That's where we're at as Christians a lot of time, though. Sometimes there's some things that God requires us to do. He requires us to do some things. Sometimes he gives us a job. He gives us a mean to the end. He gives us a job so that we can feed ourselves and that we can have shelter and that we can have clothes. But we're not supposed to rely on the job for those things. We're supposed to rely on God for those things because he's the one who gave the means to get there anyway. But sometimes we got to do something to get there. He requires us to do something. Too often, though, we treat God like a rich relative. We're standing here with our hands in our pockets and tell him how our light bill is not paid. And then we're mad at him because it's not done. Why well, he's given us a job to go to to make some money to get the light bill paid. We treat God, that seems stupid, doesn't it? But so many people treat God, too often God's treated like that. <clears throat> oh, I've, I've uh, skipped a page here. Or I did something. <laughs> Exodus. How did I do that? Well, I'm just going to tell you the story anyway. All right? The story of Moses. Moses was a praying man. He was a righteous man, right? So Moses went up on the mountain. He was spending time with God. God gave him, God gave him the... Uh, I see what I did. Hold on. Back on track. <laughs> First John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And 15 says, have I read this one already? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. So if we know that he hears us and we know his will, how will we know those things if we're not in his word? If we're not studying his word, if we're not spending time with him? I'm going to tell you a story about Moses, this, is, this goes on through, you can go back and read it, it's nine chapters deep in the Bible, and I can't read that much, I'm not that strong of a reader, so you're going to have to read it on your own. It's Exodus chapters 24 through 33, it's nine chapters. Moses was a praying man, though, he went to Mount Sinai, and he spent time with God. He had a relationship with God. 
right? God gave him all the details of the tabernacle. He said, Aaron was going to be the priest. Your brother's going to be the priest. Here's how you're going to make his clothes, have his clothes made by skilled tradesmen. You're going to have his, you're going to have his clothes made like this, it's going to be decorated like this, it's going to be these colors, great detail. Here's how you're going to make the tents. It's going to be exactly this size, right? All a bunch of great details. The sacrifice, how you're going to do the sacrifices, where you're going to sprinkle the blood at, how you're going to burn the sacrifices up, the incense, how to make the incense, how that incense was to be set aside just to be used in the tabernacle. He gave him every detail of how to build the tabernacle and how to run the tabernacle. At the same time, he gave him two tablets. Everybody wants to say he got the Ten Commandments, but if you go back and read your Bible for yourself, it says he gave him two tablets, and they were written on front and back. We're not talking about Ten Commandments here. We're talking about the laws, right? Ten Commandments wouldn't take up front and back of two tablets. So, however, there was more there. So, so he came back down off the mountain after he got this. God told him to go back because your people are messing up. The people, the people you let out are messing up. So there was a, they had a golden calf when he got back. Moses took the golden calf. First, he asked his brother about it. And his brother lied to him about it and said, well, they were getting antsy, so I took their gold jewelry, I threw it in the fire, and this gold calf popped out. So the guy who was supposed to be called to be the priest, he's a liar. You can see where this might be a problem, right? Then Moses took the golden calf, he burned it, crushed it into powder, threw it on the water, and they drank the water. He he caused them to drink the water. He told them to drink the water. God was going to kill all the people this time, and he was going to cause Moses to be a new nation. Are you following me? But Moses once again went and interceded for the nation of Israel talked God out of it and said, if you kill them here, all the Egyptians will see this and they'll think that you just brought them out here to kill them in, in the wilderness. And it would look bad on God. So he said, all right, we're going to do this then. So, so Moses went over the edge of the camp and he said, everybody who's, God, who's for God, come over here to me. He gave him a choice. Guess what? Only part of them came over to him. Only part of them came to Moses. So he said, you, you that came over here to me, you take swords out and go out and kill your siblings Anybody else who didn't come over here, you kill them. Kill them off. And they did this. In Exodus 3, after this happened, though, God placed a plague on them. Uh, in Exodus 3, or 33, 7 through 9, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. This thing was outside the camp. To get away from the distractions, I would imagine, when you think? Two million people living in tents. Think about that. Animals. <laughs> so, it was, so it was whenever went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And 9 says, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar... The pillar of a cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. He talked with Moses. They had a relationship. If you read on later on in the verse, it says, or later on in that chapter, it says that the Lord met him face to face. Moses stood and talked to God face to face in a pillar of a cloud, but Moses knew that God heard him. Think back to the scripture in 1 John. Moses knew that God heard him. We question God sometimes, though. He went out there because there was two million people that lived in the city to get away. We have to get away from our distractions sometimes. We think we have distractions. Can you imagine living in the middle of two million people in tents? That gives a whole new meaning to not be able to pass gas without your neighbor knowing it, right? (laughs) My wife's head drops. I threw that in just for you, baby. (laughs) The Bible says that God is omnipresent. So he hears us. 
He hears you even when you don't want him to hear you talking. He hears you when you don't want him to hear what you're saying. You think he can't hear your prayers? Why do we question God? Why do we doubt God? He's omnipresent. What's your faith in? What is God's will? Is your faith in your job, your spouse, or your ability? If you're not in the word, how will you know what your faith's supposed to be in? How will you know what God's will is? James 4, 2, and 3 says this. A lust, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Leave this up here for a second. That you may, that you may spend it on your pleasures. You ask amiss. I got a little more red neckery for you right here, right? The word amiss brought me to this. It brought me to shooting. If you're shooting and you don't know what you're shooting at, then you're going to amiss. Right? <laughs> That's good right there. <laughs> so everybody who knows who's been at my house, there's a little pistol range in the back of my house. And it, it, my yard goes down a hill like this. And, and, and the, it's just like a telephone pole size post, a corner post with a piece of plywood on it. And we staple targets on there, right? And if you stand up at the top of the hill, that's 77 yards down there from there to the target. So can you picture this? If you stand at the top of the hill and the target's down here. Now, if you haven't been reading your Bible, you got no idea. So you're taking a shot in the dark, right? So if I stood you on top of the hill and gave you a pistol, 77 yards is quite a shot for a pistol. If I stood you at the top of the hill and gave you a pistol and said, shoot the target, it's that way, what would you do? You'd shoot straight in front of you, right? The target's down here, though. So you're shooting way over the top of the target. So you don't have a shot. You don't have a chance at hitting the target unless God meets you right where you're at. And answers your prayer, right? I'm not just telling you a redneck story about shooting guns. This just relates for me, okay? So I thought it might help you. So if you're a Sunday and a Wednesday, Wednesday kind of Christian, then you'd walk out there, if you've been there before, and you'd know, hey, that target's downhill, and it's somewhere about in here in the middle of the yard, and I'm standing here so I can shoot that direction. It's dark outside still. Got this? Still dark outside. It's dark outside for both these people. They can't see the target, so they're shooting over the target. The person who comes to church on Sunday and Wednesday, they know a little bit of the word. They know a little bit of what God's will is. Are you following me? So they might go in the right direction. So they might hit the board and some things around. And if they get real lucky, they might hit the mark sometimes. Probably not very often, though. Are you following me? But if you have a marksman out there, somebody who's educated, somebody who gets in the word of God and digs around and applies it to their life, and, talk, and talks to God and has a relationship with God. He's trained. He's trained, he's educated, and he's intentional through a relationship with God and through the word. How can we know his will? Does that make sense to you all? Did I make sense of that? Without us waste five minutes of your time. How can we know his will and his expectations if we're not getting his word, if we're not trained, if we're not doing things intentionally, right? In the story of Moses, God gave explicit details of the tabernacle. And at the same time, he gave explicit details in the tablets. Right? Y'all follow me right here? They're written front and back, two tablets. For how you, one was for how you act in the church. One was for how you act outside the church. Equal importance. He didn't give him one and then six months later he gave him the other one. He gave them to him at the same time. They're of equal importance, church. How we're acting inside the church, our Sunday and Wednesday etiquettes should carry over outside the church as well. As well. Honoring God in all that we do, not just when we come in here, but honoring him on our job, honoring him around our family. What about our enemies? Honoring God around our enemies, right? When we come to church, we should be, if you've been here very long, you know this, you should be prayed up when you come to church. 
You should be prepared to come to church that you don't, you don't uh, quench the spirit. Good job, babe. See, you need to be up here sometimes. So that you don't quench the spirit. You should turn off your cell phone, right? You shouldn't be whispering when I'm up here preaching. You shouldn't be whispering when they're up here singing. You should be praising God. You should be involved. You should be taking your notes. You should be getting the Bible out of the chair in front of you and reading it if you don't have your own with you. Right? The things that we do. You don't throw cigarette butts in the front yard. You definitely don't throw trash on the ground. You know how much trash and fingernail clippings and things we pick off the church floor? This isn't where I'm going with this, but think about this. If you were invited to dinner tonight at the White House with President Trump, now I've seen people in the middle of church, their phone go off, and I've had it happen to me, and I've been embarrassed, and I shut my ringer off, and it was embarrassing for me. But I've seen people actually answer their phone and try to talk quietly, and maybe they'll exit the church as they're doing it. So let me ask you this. If you were invited to the White House tonight to eat dinner with President Trump and your phone ring, would you take the call and whisper on the other side of the table? Would you, would, you, would you throw trash on the floor? Think about it. Think about it. You have more respect for some people than you do for God. N- not everybody, but, but it ha- I mean, somebody is apparently because I'm picking trash up off the floor. Think about it. I picked up a half a pack of cigarette butts out of the yard last week. Somebody apparently is not respecting the house of God, but we should be honoring God in all that we do. And then when you're in public, how do you treat your spouse in public? Think about it. Here's a really good one. How do you treat your kids in public? Your kids are easy to talk down to, right? If you want to. How do you treat your kids in public? How do you treat your enemy in public? Is God's love shining through you? All the time I'm talking about. Are you the salt and the light of the world? That's what he was talking about in these directions right here, right? On these two tablets, that's what God was talking about. In the church and out of the church. People should know that you're a Christian before you tell them you're a Christian. We met a lady last week. I talked about it last week. We met a lady last week. She was working at McDonald's. It's not a great job. But when I talked to her on the drive-thru speaker, I knew that she was different. Brenda knew that she was different. You could tell she, was, she, was, she had true joy. And it was just bubbling out of her everywhere. When we pulled up to the window, I stopped and talked to her for a while because I was impressed by her. I was impressed by her. She was a young lady, and she just had joy bubbling out of her. And I said, where do you go to church? And she started telling me, oh, God is so good. And I go down here to the Baptist church and, and, and started telling me all about it. And I said, are you always like that? She said, as long as nobody puts their hands on me or spits on me, this is my, this is my attitude. We're all good. We should be like that before we tell people. They should know. They should know before we have to tell them. So, so he came down. He had the golden calf. He found out Aaron was a liar. So you could see there was problems going on with Moses' life at this time. Even though he was a praying man, there were things happening. I'm still talking about righteousness here. God killed him, or they, they killed him with a sword. Moses gave him a choice because they could have. When, when he said, everybody who's for God, come over here to me. How many of y'all would go to the back of the church? He gave them a choice. They could have all came there. Even though they had messed up, they could have all came where Moses was calling to. But they didn't, so they were killed with a sword. Then he burned the calf. He crushed it down into powder, threw it on the water, and caused them to drink it. Told them to drink the water. He completely got rid of the, of the idol. Completely and totally. They weren't going to find that idol again. He didn't just knock it over and throw it on the ground. Are you following me? He just didn't crush it up and leave it laying there for everybody to look at so they could see it again. He completely got rid of that idol. He was serious about it. Then God added a plague onto him even after that. God hasn't changed. But God and Moses were very serious about this other God, weren't they? About this golden calf. Shouldn't we be? Shouldn't we be about other gods? We should be very serious. We shouldn't be allowing things to get between us and our prayer life, our time with God. I see what I did. I numbered the pages wrong. (laughs) So Moses was a faithful man of prayer. Was he perfect? No. 
He'd murdered someone before we got here to this, right? He got mad and threw those tablets down, had to go back and chisel someone. Else. He wasn't perfect. But at the end of 33, even though he was going through all these things, he said, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. God knew Moses. He had a relationship, right? God knew Moses. Moses knew God. He had met face to face at the tent of meeting, right? Moses was in a trial. Everything that was going on around him, you think that wasn't trial? Two million people he had, he was dealing with. But God said, Moses, get up here on this rock. There's a place near me. You can stand up on this rock, and I will place you. God said he did it. He didn't tell Moses to get in the cleft. He placed Moses in the cleft, and he placed his hand on Moses to protect him because he said, no man can see my face and live. So he protected Moses even in this time when he walked by and Moses got to see his back. God protected Moses, and he saw his back. God was, God was Moses' fortress through this whole thing. He was his protector right? He was his rock. He was his everything because he was a praying man. I've heard some people though say, I'm not a strong reader. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to have a relationship. I'm too busy. I can't understand it. Let me say this to you though. If you were given an inheritance today, and it could be a long, lengthy, wheels are thick, right? If you were given an inheritance today and there was a house in it and some other things that you were interested in, uh, I bet you'd have it read by tonight, right? We'd get in there, we'd get involved in it. And if I can't read, I'd get somebody else to read it to me. And if it's in a different language, I'd be looking for an interpreter. I'd be on the internet looking for an interpreter because I'm getting this house, right? It's paid for and it's free and clear and it's mine. And all this money in the bank, it's mine. And you'd be excited about it even before you saw it, right? Because you had faith in it. You're excited about it because you had faith in it. What's our faith in? So righteousness and prayer and faith all go hand in hand, right? Righteousness, prayer, and faith. So, so the more you pray, the closer you get to God, right? The closer you get to God, the more righteous you become. Make sense? The more righteous you become, the more faith you have, right? But everything must be tested by the word of God. Everything must be tested by the word of God. I hope this spoke to some of you today because I know that it spoke to me and I had to, I had to, I had to go to God and, and repent that I have to spend more time in my prayer life. I must spend more time in my prayer life. If we want to be, don't interrupt the service. If we want to be right by God, we have to spend our time with God. We have to spend our time in God's word. Does that make sense? Some of us haven't been made righteous yet. We're going to give you that opportunity today, too. Saints, pray with me. Pray with me. If you were to die today or you left out of here, if you left out of here, if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if there's any doubt in your mind that you won't make it to heaven, could I see your hand? Could I see your hand? Anybody here 